Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and today we're super excited to talk about the 1.0 release of Levelhead, the 2D platformer and level creator developed and published by Butterscotch Shenanigans. So what's up, Brett? What's, uh, what's got you picking up your sticks this week? I have totally picked up my sticks for Levelhead. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a minute. Of course, we've discussed Levelhead a little bit in the past, uh, but is pretty big deal because they just did their uh, their leaving early access 1.0 full release launch uh, this uh, last Thursday, uh, and I, I actually stopped kind of playing around maybe April of last year, and maybe I, I you know came in and out just a smidge. Um, you know, one or two days here or there. I kept up with the, you know, some of the release notes and their community newsletters and stuff, but I wanted to start saving the... So let's actually, let me let me stop you there, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you're good. <laughs> so we're actually, this one, and, and I just made this up right now, um, so you may not be comfortable with it, but... No, you're fine. We're gonna, we're just, we'll see how it goes. We're going to treat this actually, despite us being co-hosts and normally us both diving in, I think we're going to treat this more like you're a guest here to talk about Levelhead because your excitement level with this is tremendous, which is awesome. Yeah. But I think our audience may not necessarily be familiar with where we are today. So let's go back a little bit okay. <laughs> and explain yeah. what Levelhead is and what your involvement with it's been. Heard. Awesome. Yeah. So Levelhead is a uh, 2D platformer maker game. So uh, there's a lot of similarities that get drawn to like a Mario Maker style game, but in my opinion, it's it's so much more than that. There are a few other Maker games out there. Um, you know, there's a couple on mobile that are eh. There's a there's Little Big Planet and what Little Big Planet Two on PlayStation that mm -hmm. are kind of Maker games. Uh, there's been a few other games that have you know tried in in some way or another to be a a game about making other games. Mm -hmm. but the genre itself hasn't really been defined that well yet. Uh, the genre is still pretty small. There's not a lot of games in it, so it, it's kind of stuck in the, the same spot now that like any first-person shooter was shortly after Doom, where most people are just saying, like, it's a Mario Maker clone. It's it's not, It's, mm -hmm. it's it, but it is a genre that's being defined, and, and while Maker games don't really have the same cadence as, like, FPS does now... Um, we're still kind of in that zone where, you know, maker game is not a, a really well-defined genre. And and for then um, to actually speak a little bit to one of the recent Butterscotch Shenanigans podcast episodes, uh, they talk about how, like, if somebody doesn't, like, it's easy to, to talk about it in terms of Mario Maker, because that's something that a lot of people are, are familiar with. But when you talk about it with somebody who's not familiar with Mario Maker, it right. becomes even harder to describe the game. Right. Like, well, you know, Instagram, yeah, it's that, but for making your own video games. Like, <laughs> there's a there's a huge so well, it kind of is. There's a huge social element. You're sharing levels. You're wanting to get you know upvotes and tips on them. You're wanting to have other people play and engage with the content that you're creating. So there is kind of the social media element to the game. Um, but primarily, it's a it's a pretty fast-paced action platformer game where you play as an employee of the Bureau of Shipping. 
uh, a futuristic, a comedic shipping company in the Butterscotch Shenanigans universe. Uh, so it is in the same universe as Crashlands. You uh, have received this tiny robot that's called a GR-18, and its job is to pick up packages and deliver them to people's houses. But the problem is, is that a GR-18 straight out of the factory is just like, in the words of Butterscotch Shenanigans, a dumb robot baby. So you have to train this robot by going through various types of levels that simulate, quote, real-world conditions and uh, and find ways to train it to handle any kind of scenario so that once you do go out into the world, then, you know, it would be a successful shipping robot. So that's kind of the premise or the story of the game, which I think is really cool that, you know, a platformer maker game has such an in-depth story because it's just not something you really... I mean, for one, there's not a lot of platformer maker games, but for two, to have an in-depth story or at least some story in a platformer that's more than just, you know, go kill Bowser... Like, why are these, why are Bowser's levels here, right? Like, why do you have to travel through all these lands if you're just going to go hunt about who made them, right? This gives some context to that, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, you're I think also, it, oh, no, oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, it, it, to me, it's reminiscent of, um, uh, because, you know, like, does Mario have a story? Like, I guess. Does Rayman have a story? Like, I guess. But there's not really any context to, to, to say what you just said. There's not really any context for the story. So it's like you understand that there's a bad guy and that you're trying to save a princess, but you don't really understand how any of the rest of the world works. And not that you really truly understand the world of, you know, Levelhead or the world of a Valve game like Portal, but that's what it almost reminds me of is the way that like Portal the game is you shooting portals through walls and negotiating these levels. But the fact that it wraps it in this context of the Aperture Silence Facility and, like, there's apparently some sort of catastrophic event that's happened outside and I don't know. It just kind of it's reminiscent of that where it's like it's a story, but I think you use the appropriate word. It's also providing a lot of context for that story, which makes it seem more immersive, richer. I don't know yeah, what we're doing. I mean, it, it also ties into the fact that, like another part of your job is to build and design levels so that other level heads, which are the people that work for the Bureau of Shipping that have GR-18s, can test their GR-18s in. So mm. it's like, it, it's con that piece of context, I guess, gives more, not like it's a huge amount of meaning, but it gives some meaning to why you're making Yeah, no, this. it does. Well, and like the social media element you talked about, you know, I kind of made a face when you said it, but that's because I'm thinking of the game, because not to, I'm completely derailing my original <laughs> plan here, but I've played I've played Levelhead and I've played it this week since it, it released and, and it's awesome. Um, but my primary experience with it is just playing it as a platformer. And when you're just playing it as a platformer, that's why I kind of was like, really? Like, is it really social media? But you're right. When you make levels, it is exactly all of the same triggers that social media use, where you're designing levels to be uploaded and, and all of this stuff. And but it. it because of this context, it enables all of that stuff to seem um, feasible. Like well, also part of the game, right? That's what like, that's what like, I mean by it's feasible. like I'm sending email messages to other right. you know, level like come play my level, you know, and right. And it, it also does a huge thing. Like so, so back to the core concept of the game. So you play through. There's a huge campaign. Uh, there's a number of like cutscene animations that will give context to all the various critters and robots and and block types and stuff. Kind of why you're there. It develops the story as you go, and they're presented like training 
so the whole campaign is considered quote unquote training and they're presented like corporate training, but amped up to, to the nth degree with tons of the butterscotch, you know, comedy thrown in and, and it just kind of makes fun of corporate training in a way, which I love. And so it's also there because while it's a platformer maker game and it shares a lot of concepts with platformers, like if you've played a platformer that has a spring in it, you know what a spring does. But it also does a lot of things different. And so the campaign gives you an opportunity to understand, like, there's not Koopas. There's not Hammer Bros. There's all kinds of different enemies and power-ups and switches and things that you just need to start adapting to how they do things and to train you about what these things are and how they work. Um so like that part of it's really cool. But then when you do go in to build levels, one thing that, you know, a lot of people with games like Mario Maker, a little big planet complained about was the discoverability problem where like, sure, you can make a level, but then you've got to go to, you've got to do all the legwork. You got to go to Twitter, you got to go to Facebook, maybe join a discord group, make posts and, and advertise yourself to even have a chance at somebody playing your level and getting feedback on it. Like if you want to make changes or something. And Levelhead does an amazing job of having this easily shared level code that is generated that you can share as a, it's just a website code that integrates into the game that you can add it as a bookmark from any website you want. But it also has an in-game system called the marketing department. So every level that's posted, nobody, the game doesn't know how difficult your level is. And you may not even know because you may think it's easy and you're just a pro gamer, or you may think it's hard but you're not very familiar with the game. So to kind of balance that out, it goes to the marketing department. And every level that goes to the marketing department has to be played by like, I think a hundred different people to graduate the marketing department. And, and while it's in there, it'll get a score about how many times people die, how difficult it is. It'll kind of give it a challenge rating, right? And then in addition, uh, if you play other people's levels, whether you play other people's levels that are in the marketing department, or levels that are in the tower, which is where it's kind of like the mass pool that levels go to when they graduate marketing department. Every uh, player made level that you play earns you what's called exposure bucks. And if you play levels in the marketing department, you earn more of these exposure bucks and they can be used to boost your level or other people's levels through tips to rise through the ranks, which basically increases your visibility. So if you spend a lot of time making a level that you really want other people to play, uh, you can go play other people's levels and bank up exposure bucks. And then when you're ready to launch your level, you can just boost it all the way to the top of the rankings. The, the first level on the first page, it's going to guarantee that people are going to see it. It's going to guarantee that they're going to play it and you know score it and rate it. Maybe they'll follow you because um, you could follow creators and, and things like that to see all of their new levels when they come out. And then it, it just kind of helps with this discovery problem. And it, and it kind of is a solution for that that I think is really great that they kind of took a little bit from from like a Ludum Dare itch.io type system where you play other people's content and your content becomes more visible, which I think is a really interesting and, and great idea to kind of support that. It, you know, again, also making fun of paying for things and exposure. Uh, but that's literally what it is. You get exposure by playing other people's levels so it's like a literal exposure buck which i think is just hilarious mm -hmm. yeah it also to talk more even a, a little bit which i'm probably beating a dead horse here but <laughs> it, it also reminds me a little bit of like fallout like it's not the same shtick as fallout but like 
the way Fallout has the the like old timey good feeling, you know, stuff that's um, everything's okay in Vault seventy three or you know I don't know it's it's that right. kind no, of no it does it does it is that kind of the older school Fallout like the Vault humor yeah definitely present in in some of those pieces and I I mean to be clear I compare it to or to you know Valve with Portal or or Bethesda and Fallout. Um, because I think that those are some of the best examples that we have actually of comedy in um, gaming, you know, where they, they pull off inserting comedy into really well done games. And I think that that's what Butterscotch shenanigans has done here with Levelhead as well. No, I, I 100% agree. I think Crash Lanes was, was pretty good. It was pretty funny. It had a lot of that shtick in there. I sure. think they double down on that in Levelhead in so many ways. Like, it, we talked in previous episodes about like the little details that really just that that last level of polish on top of the already polished game that just sends it off skyrocketing, and I think there's a lot of that in Levelhead. Um, like one of the things that I discovered by accident was in so in the campaign there are these little you know these little videos that you know tell you about a different monster or something these little stopping points where you can kind of rest watch a funny video uh, get some lore about the game or understand a new mechanic or something and then move on and they're done by these video presentations with this ai maya and the butterscotch announcer which is actually one of the brothers sam does the voice work for and i had already seen one of them and i accidentally hit play on it again and I was like, oh, I, I just watched this. I don't want to watch it again. So I like, kind of fiddled around with the keyboard. Look, fine. Okay, there's a skip thing. You got to hold the button down to, to skip it. And I skipped it. And the announcer goes, it comes up and goes, oh, that's fine. I'll just send you an email. And it's right. like that little piece of polish. Like, don't worry about this training video. I'll just send, I, I get that you're busy. I'll send it to you in an email. Right. Like, I just died laughing because I was not expecting it. I was expecting expecting the video to close right like right. that's what you do when you skip a cutscene. is it just it's gone and and the fact that it wasn't just gone and the fact that there was a, a funny quip to throw in there i like almost fell out of my seat i was like this is ridiculous like that that unexpected humor is just it's that extra creme de la creme of polish right so so level head like we talked about at the beginning uh has just come out of early access is now 1.0 um, so what was your involvement with it in the early access period? How did we get to here? Right. So we've talked in previous episodes about, um, you know, Shenanicon and and especially like I, I would have been following Butterscotch Shenanigans for a long time. Met the devs several times, go to their their convention, which I don't know about this year with uh, things going on. But in prior years, we, you know, we've gone. I've gone prior as well. And uh, I'm also pretty involved in their Discord community. I try to stay pretty active in there. And there were a small selection of us that got essentially kind of a pre-alpha access um, just to start kind of testing it and seeing, is it ready for alpha even, right? So I was involved in that. And then with that involvement came basically an open invite to the alpha. And then that carried through to open invite through beta. And then, of course, early access. Um, so I did receive a copy of the game for free. Um, I have since bought it on mobile. Uh, one of the things to mention, the game is available on almost every platform. So Android, iOS, Switch, Xbox, PC, uh, Epic, Steam, 
and all of the levels that you want to work on or whatever are cross-platform connected through their own back-end web system. So you can build a level on mobile, take it to PC, work on it there, go in the living room, play it on Xbox. All connected. So anyway, my involvement in that was was getting this early access, you know, ability to play the game. Um, but that came with a lot of feedback. So, you know, submitting bug reports, kind of break testing the game. So, you know, my normal day job is as a kind of a quality analyst. And so I definitely try to think outside of the box when it comes to, you know, how can I, is, is there something that I can think of that the devs didn't that might break things? Because that's going to be what other players do, whether by accident or intention. And so there was a good group of us and some private Discord channels that went in and just tried to break the game in any way and, and give feedback on what we liked, um, you know, where we thought things should go, how the, should the story work. Because, you know, when we were testing, the story wasn't in there. Uh, the game worked completely differently. Items were unlocked through the campaign. Um, there was a lot of back and forth discussions on just all manner of aspects of the game. And in fact, the game was kind of a lot simpler when when we were first taking charge you know doing our alpha testing there were switches and there was you know some channels to be able to to tie objects to other objects and stuff but as you know several of us we all had our own different skill sets there were people that were starting to make working calculators and you know pinball machines or tetris or you know using aspects of the game to make these mini games inside of it and saying, if we had more switch IDs, we could do more. If we had a relay, we could do more. Or, uh, you know, gates and logic systems. And that's kind of where, you know, the Butterscotch team, you know, were also working very closely with us. We had, you know, constant feedback. We were talking to all the devs. There were maybe, you know, a couple dozen of us in a chat room with them, you know, giving and providing feedback and, and back and forth discussion. And they started going, holy crap, like... If we can do this, if we can get this to you guys, and it's going to, you know, may have to recode some foundations of the game, but then, like, how much more could you do? And so it, it, I was pretty deeply involved for, for a long time. For, um, everything to comments on art style, uh, campaign, music, objects that we wanted to see in-game, interactions between objects. Uh, like, you know, originally there was some cannon bullets and there were a couple of different types of bullets that you could load into a cannon object from a fireball that you couldn't touch or you die to a bullet where you if it touched you you died but if you bounced on top of it you could you know destroy it and like a homing rocket we're going well maybe the different bullets it would be cool if they could destroy different types of terrain like breakable blocks and things so you know just discussions like that well how would that be cool what could that cause that could break other things you know so i was deeply involved um in kind of the alpha stage of the game uh, all the way through uh, early access launch. And shortly after early access launch is kind of where I stepped back because I put in uh, something like 200 hours in a couple of weeks. Um, I was I was definitely putting in more time than I was at work. <laughs> uh, right. Because, I mean, it was also just an awesome game. I was getting to play it, you know. But I, I was starting to get a little bit burned out. I made... A giant level that took you know an hour to play through if you wanted 100 percent the level i tried to use as many mechanics as possible and Didn't that was you make your metroidvania basically that, inside that is, of the level yeah it was basically a metroidvania where you could unlock your power-ups through collecting various gems and stuff within the game and 
and it was it was super awesome to make it super great super fun to do but i spent like 30 hours making that level <laughs> right um and this was before there were things like multi-select uh you know there weren't the ability to <laughs> screenshot your whole level as one piece so i had to screenshot each screen and stitch it together in gimp to try to like see the whole thing wow and uh and so yeah i was starting to get a little bit burned out um so i kind of backed off a bit like i said i kept i kept in touch and, and watched things in the background um but there were a, a select number of us that were just really in there at the ground floor trying to do things like what happens if you fill your entire level with springs like one of the users just put a thousand springs that are all bouncing off each other and, and dropped his frame weight rate to one and said, there's, here's an optimization opportunity, you know, like, uh, and just doing whatever we could. And, and they did, they took all of it and, and fixed things and generated more content. They shouted us out in the patch notes and, and said, you know, these are things suggested by these different players and stuff. Super amazing getting to work so closely with the developers like it's i've been in a lot of early access things or just you know bought early access games where i've gone into their discords and and just you know chatted with people offered feedback and things like that but it's very rare that you get an ongoing discussion with the developers and with the community especially in such a small area because a lot of games in early access you know hundreds of players even in a discord is still quite a lot um but in that alpha stage it you know, there's just like 20 of us. So we're all sharing each other's levels and trying to figure out how other people are doing things and stuff. Um, so it was just really, really intense couple of weeks where we were all doing that. And then when early access launched, we were kind of the paragons. We knew, you know, how the game worked. We knew how the systems functioned. We'd already played through, you know, the campaign that existed. Uh, we had been already working with things. So we were there to jumpstart the rest of the community. We would dive bomb on people's Twitch streams. We'd take, you know, the 20 or 30 core group of us and just, here's a new person that's streaming that they've never played before. Everybody go hug them, you know, and like we'd all dive in basically doing raids um, and joining up people's streams, offering help if they wanted it, offering just encouragement or whatever. The community of the Butterscotch community is just amazing. Um, so, you know, with all of that involvement, um, Butterscotch Shenanigans did something that I considered, you know, very special and did not expect in any way. I'd already gotten the game for free and I'm more than willing to pay for it. But they they went out and and collected those of us that that had been there kind of on the ground floor and said, hey, if you want your name in the credits, we'd love to have you there. Um, so I got my name, both my name and my screen name uh, in the credits of a video game, uh, which just absolutely blows my mind and so cool yeah it's, so cool yeah because it's, it's out there like it's not it's not like it's one thing to have like my name in the credits of a, a game jam that i did you know like right. this is like this is a full release title it's a real on, game yeah it, i mean it's on <laughs> people could see it i mean in japan and korea and u.s and wherever in the world could see my name scroll across the screen as like a special yeah. thanks sort of thing and that's Ah, it just fills my heart. Like, well, I mean, you know, you, you, you know, we've seen credit screens our whole lives, and like, I've always, you know, I, don't, I mean, you always see like the special things, and it's like, who are these people? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, now I know one of them, and like you, like, and you under, and like, we understand very intimately what it means to be in the special things section. You know what I mean? I, like, so yeah, no, super cool. Um, 
you know, and as always, this is probably going to be a long episode, but, and I say that fondly, um, cause I, there's just so much to unpack with this. Um, you know, we, we have talked about butterscotch shenanigans before when, especially when we went to Shenanicon and did our episode. Um, but I just feel like it is still important to emphasize how, um, how significant they are in, in the space, despite not being a, a, a name like Activision or, you know, EA, or I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I said EA on the level head podcast. I'm said sorry. the E word, but, but it just, because, you know, so, you know, we did a podcast back in, I, I want to say it was probably December of 2019 when it came out. I don't know somewhere in there, but on a game called Gree yeah. that we had played and, and at the time when we recorded that episode, I said, this is this game is the reason that I wanted to do the podcast that we do about why gaming matters, because it is this and we don't know the developer of Gree right. at all or know anything about them, really, <laughs> beyond what a Wikipedia entry might say. Um, but it was like there's this you can just tell that the person or people who whatever that made that just cared so much and that like everything like it is an expression of, of game as art, right? Whereas not all games are that. And I don't mean to diminish games that aren't that because not everything has to be. Um, but I think Levelhead, and, and again, not to diminish Crashlands or anything like that either, but but I think that Levelhead is is an example of that. But, but is even more interesting because while Gree is this beautiful masterpiece thing, it's also a two-hour game that introduces a lot of ideas, but ultimately kind of gets bailed out of them. If like, maybe those ideas wouldn't be fun for very long, but the game's also three hours or something. So you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to stick around too long to get burned out, you know? Um, right. Whereas Levelhead is, is kind of two games in one. I mean, it's, it's a platformer that through and through, and I'm a huge platformer guy. Um, I, I, you know, love, for example, the Rayman games on PC, I think are excellent, which they didn't originate there, but whatever. Um, and I think Levelhead holds up as next to a AAA platformer like Rayman. It's, it stands right there with it. You know yeah. what I mean? There is nothing. And honestly, even has some interesting mechanics like like the idea of the package jump, which is something that, if I'm not mistaken, came out of the testing stuff that you were just kind of describing. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily something that they thought of when they started developing the game right but if and, you play the campaign it's integrated very early oh yeah, into, like you have to learn how to do this it's, you it's know? in a tutorial like you you're gonna need to right. learn this right and there are even some things there were a lot of discussions on things that kind of were unintentional things like mm -hmm. so there's like there are like quote unquote like pro moves or whatever like they're called like super jumps or coyote jumps or something and they're kind of moves that sort of break the physics of the game just a little bit but they're really hard to pull off and no average player would know how to do them they're not required in the campaign but there were a lot of discussions on like should we allow this to stay or should we call it a bug and fix it like should we have a skill ceiling so high that those players that want to learn these game-breaking moves, things that are similar to those familiar with Mario Maker or even uh, like Super Mario ROM hacks, things like shell jumps and P-switch jumps that are really difficult to pull off, but can be integrated to a super hardcore level where there's this like extra tier above a five-star level that's just ridiculous. 
Um, and there were a lot of back and forth discussions on stuff like that. And some of those things actually stayed in the game. There were discussions on like speedrunners should be allowed to do things that break things for speedrunning, and high ceiling ultra skill cap things should be allowed to exist for those people that want to go above and beyond. And and just opening that discussion up as well, making the game available for those those types of players really does kind of double down on like like nobody that was designing Super Mario World was discussing shell jumps because they didn't exist until ROM hacks hacks really. I mean they exist in the game, but probably weren't discovered until at least the nineties. Sure. Like uh, like late nineties, early two thousands. But it, it it's one of those things like to have that discussion is I think is really important. And to say that yeah, it is important to have some things that are maybe some people might consider bugs or a little cheaty or something. Um but to allow that to be in the game. And I think that that's, it's just a, a huge thing. But to kind of go back on what you said, just that level of polish and care, in in my opinion. And, and of course, I got to see versions of the game prior. I saw the first levels of the game remade a dozen times. Mm. And, and even in the final release version, those levels have been cleaned up and polished just to a little bit higher degree, just a few more touches and elements in the background to make it feel more alive mm-hmm. and everything that's in the campaign you can make in a single player level outside of like the tutorial like bubble that shows up to show you what buttons to push and a couple of the hidden collectibles um that are you know just in the campaign as collectible items but everything else the level mechanics themselves you can create in your own levels which i think is really cool you can recreate the campaign levels if you wanted to this is going to uh, – and please call me out because no, <laughs> this not. might be a little hippie-ish. But I was just – I just had the thought that like, you know, to some extent, I, I think when you play a game like Gree and it, and, it, and it resonates in the right way. But it's not just that kind of game. Like it happened with us with Borderlands mm-hmm. 3, right? Um, it happened with Doom 2016 and uh, – with you for for, for, for me Ninja at Turtles. least for Doom <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's fine. Rip, rip, <laughs> but but so PC uh, soon, okay? <laughs> yay. Um, but but well, and so I think that it's almost kind of like, and again, this might be a little a little too. No, you're fine. Woo, Go for it. Whatever, but it's almost like you know when the, when the the developer or the maker of the creator of the game is trying to to make it like they have a vision. And the way that the game looks, sounds, plays, feels, all of that is them expressing that vision. And the hope is that the gamer is able to see the same thing, see the same vision that the, that the creator intended. Right. And I think when you get an experience like Gree, Borderlands, Doom, and, I, and I, the reason I bring up those games is because they, they're very different. You know, Doom and Borderlands are not cutesy in the same way. Right. You know, Borderlands a little more so. Um, but doom <laughs> certainly not, <laughs> but they, but, but like the, the feeling that you get when it's like, it, it feels like you're like, you've communicated effectively. And, and I don't know if perfectly is the right word. Cause that might be too, too, too strong of a word, but like the developer and the gamer have this aligned space that they've entered through this masterful production of the game. And I think that, and so when maybe when the game doesn't resonate, like maybe it's 
maybe it's not even so much that, and this is where it's a little hippie-ish, but maybe it's not even that it's like such a terrible game as much as that like, for whatever reason, they weren't able to translate the vision that they had through the game experience so that the gamer saw it that way. And again, it's not, it's a subjective thing. So maybe some people still do get that out of it and that's awesome. Um, But I think that, I think that that's, Again, a little woo wooish, but I think that's that's kind of the way I feel when I play games like this, where it's like it, it just feels like, for lack of a better word, like pure. You know, like yeah. I don't, I don't know. Does that make sense? No, or is that I think, I think that is. I think that's also tied a lot to the amount of polish because yeah, there's and and there's a lot of different things that you can polish about a game, and a lot of companies polish some things and not others. You know. There are AAA games that have settings menus with two settings, like music on off. Like, I thought we had some universal rules about having at least sliders. Like, let me adjust the music volume separate from sound effects. Like, and let me not just have an on off button. Like, how can you have a AAA game that doesn't offer that? Like, I get it if you don't want to offer every form of anti-aliasing or whatever. But, like, there are some things that... everybody does like it's it's not polish at that point it's almost a requirement but but what i mean by that is that you can polish just the music you can polish just the art you can polish the gameplay mechanics or the flow but when you start polishing all of these things you go from a good game to a great game and from a great game to kind of this it, like you said i i don't know also feels kind of we wish but like an ascended thing like it, it is very pure it's very distilled it's there's so much in it like and every little thing i could gush about forever the music is amazing fat bard the the same composer that was for for crashlands uh steps up their game again and goes even further into making just incredible music tracks the visuals every little keyframe of animation the sound design and how well like the little details that you know, like GR18 animations for high jumps versus low jumps versus, you know, running jumps. Maybe he does a cartwheel sometimes and, and the backgrounds that, you know, split parallaxing and little animated elements that you can see hidden in the backgrounds and stuff. Every little thing is polished to this point where, you know, I started having emotional reactions to things, especially playing through the 1.0 release because, it was it was a full game and would have been amazing if it launched a year ago. Like I still think it would have been it would have been great. But they spent a year taking it from great to just pew. Like uh, there were points where I laughed so hard that like especially the video presentations and the lore of the game, especially like you don't have to play Crashlands to get or understand the lore of Levelhead. But if you had, there's a few little references here and there that just kind of kick it up that like those head nods, those almost like Easter egg sort of things mm-hmm. that nod back to Crashlands and say, this is the same universe and this is awesome. Some of them are a lot more obvious where they, you know, in some of the introduction, they talk about uh, things that happened in the events of Crashlands. But all of that is to say that like getting those references are that in the same way that you get references in a movie or something, and you're the only person laughing in the theater and everybody's like, what? You're like, I get it. I get that joke. Uh, you know, I was laughing. I would, you know, hearing some of the new music tracks or seeing some of the new, you know, like they have different level design biomes. So you can have a desert biome, a grassy biome, and it changes the look of all your blocks within it. 
and seeing some of those new biomes along with the music, you know, like the, the mushroom biome is kind of dark and the music is very ambient and kind of quiet and a little creepy, you know, gives me chills. And it's those combinations. You have to have the art polished, the music polished, the sound design polished for them to come together as a single point of presentation to the player where it's, you know, if one of those things was out of sync, if the music was, you know, bubblegum pop and the level design was a dark castle, you, you wouldn't get that same feeling. Whereas when they all jive perfectly and, and Butterscotch Nanigans is a small team. Um, I believe they're up to like six now uh, with a couple of additional people that they help contract out to do some music and background art and things like that. Um, but still a very small team. And I mean, Crashlands was a huge game to tackle uh, for a, a team that was even smaller, uh, essentially three to four. And and Levelhead is an even more ambitious. I mean, they're essentially planting a stick in the ground and saying, we're going to compete with Nintendo, period. And we're going to compete with them, not just on their own platform, because Levelhead's on Switch, but also we're going to do things that they just aren't or refusing to do. Cloud saving, cross-play against Xbox, PC, mobile, everything. We're going to take game, things that players in their games complain about, and we're going to make them better. And it's not that they're trying to like take Nintendo down or anything, but they're trying to say this space deserves credit, that maker games deserve to be done and done right, and done in a way that doesn't nickel and dime the player, like mobile games that ask you to pay for every block or something like that. Like, let's make a real PC game and also make that game just as accessible on every other platform. And they spent, I mean, the amount of polish that went into the mobile controls, there's options in mobile to slow down the game a little bit because if you're using touch controls, like you can Bluetooth the controller to it and it plays just like it does on PC. But if you are using the touch controls, some of the moves may be just a little bit harder to pull off in those extra hard levels and you can slow the game down by like five or 10%. Um, you know, so that you can still enjoy the game because that's what it's about. And and it's hitting all of these polish points and seeing the progression of the game that, you know, I'm, I definitely started engaging with on an emotional level, which was kind of weird to engage. Like, I get that I'm a little bit closer to the source and, you know, I have a lot of pride and love for Butterscotch shenanigans and for just the, the small amounts of involvement that I've been able to have with their company and, you know, having dinner with them in a shenanigan or something has been amazing. So, you know, I, I agree that I'm a little bit more biased emotionally to it, but even still, uh, the last series of levels I had not played at all because the campaign got reworked and several new items were released uh, pretty close to launch that I didn't, I didn't touch at all. Uh, so coming in and, and, you know, I had most of the campaign unlocked. I spent some time just kind of, you know, relearning the mechanics again, playing through levels that I'd already beaten to get, you know, hundred percent unlocks of, of different things and collectibles. But I hit the last three or four levels and really got to experience that kind of first time playthrough. Right. And in the last level, the last level is just a culmination of all of the work. There's a new music track that's only in that level, which was really difficult for me. Like, it, it was very distracting because it, it was a remix of several Crashlands and Levelhead songs together. 
and we haven't talked a whole lot. We've mentioned how music is important to me, but I'm kind of a, an aficionado of really amazing remixes and really, really good music. And I will sit with headphones, like amazing headphones on and listen to tracks for on repeat over and over until I get them. And then I'm, I'm, then I'm not distracted, but playing the last level, which is also a difficulty of there's a little, it's like ev- every single level in the game, all of the biggest moments that kind of, those knuckle biting moments have their own little section in the game and are also remixed. So maybe you're seeing something, a small piece of one of the earlier levels, but you have to get through it wanting using one of the later games, power-ups. So you're seeing this, like it's new, but it's old, you know how it works. And you've got to kind of, I know we talked about demonstrating mastery and how that can be sometimes detrimental to a game, but there's also checkpoints. You don't have to beat the level in one shot. So there's, you know, you just have to prove mastery of little segments. And to me, that was a lot easier to do. But to say all of this, I was so distracted by the music and just so in awe of the visuals and what was happening. At first, I didn't even realize it was the last level. Like, I just, something in my brain just hit play, just play, next, next, next. You know, I'm, I'm getting in that groove of more, more, more. Give me more levels, you know. And about halfway through the level, I realized I'm like, wait a minute. This is the last level because everything is here. And I'm like, okay, now I'm in. Now I'm bought in. And I'm really engaging with the level. But I'm also so distracted by the music because the track is so long that there keeps on being new pieces of the track that I'm like, oh, that's a piece of Crashlands music. Oh, that's some level head. This is this biome. This is that, you know, and where's it that I'm getting distracted and having a hard time playing, but also just seeing the amount of love and care and attention that is being poured into just a single level. Like I... I cannot believe that that level was made in anything less than 30 or 40 hours with several people playtesting through the level and giving feedback. And, you know, it just had to have been, if not way more, because it is a very in-depth and complicated piece. And it's just very, very polished as a single level that after getting through one of the hardest points in that level, uh, at least for me, one of the most challenging kind of zones I was overwhelmed and it literally made me cry tears of joy because this small group of developers has poured so much love and polish into a game that I was just, I was overwhelmed. Like my nervous system fried and shut down for a second. And, and I think part of that comes into something that I do really want to hit in on this episode, which is, you know, to really talk about why gaming matters and the things that we learn from gaming, I think that Levelhead is teaching me determination and drive in the face of adversity and how to enjoy overcoming a challenge instead of being angry at it. Like, Levelhead is is not as punishing as Super Meat Boy and not as friendly as Mario. <laughs> it's kind of somewhere in the between. It's a moderately difficult game, especially in the later levels. And... There are points where you will struggle. Like, I I don't think I've seen anybody one-shot, even, like, pro platformers, just because the mechanics of the game are unfamiliar. You're going to die. You're going to get reset. You're going to have to start over, respawn from checkpoint. And, but wanting to get through that level and having that drive to say, I'm going to beat this, that this isn't going to beat me, it, it started engaging me on this level that was not, and I wasn't mad. It's not like I was beating my head against a wall because I was excited to want to overcome that challenge. 
and I could be proud of myself for hitting the next checkpoint. Like, yes, finally got there. Tried this trek three times in a row. Finally made it. Like, so excited. And that was like an endorphin dump on my system on top of the fact that I was already kind of overstimulated with this amazing backtrack and the visuals and just it really was the culmination of a project that I just I had to st- sit back for like three or four minutes and let let my eyes leak for a little bit and just kind of sit in that moment of this is an amazing game. This is how this is how much love you give to your game. Like this is not crunch. This is not, you know, underpaid QA testers. This is deep understanding and knowledge and love and wanting to provide something incredible to the community. And and I felt it. And maybe I'm biased because of my experience with the company, but I feel like for me, it was also just overcoming such a difficult challenge. Like, I'm not a big Dark Souls player, but I'm sure that I would hoop and holler at beating some of those bosses because I've seen them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I so I don't know. I mean, the, the bias thing, um, It's a, that's an interesting um, point, subject, topic, I don't know. Because the thing is, is that, like, can we say that, that your love, that you are more invested in this than you would be in almost any other game that we've talked about on this podcast. Like probably because you're not involved in the alpha testing of most games. Right. But, but that doesn't stem from you being paid to do that. So it's, you didn't enter it transactionally. Like, yes, you're really invested in this developer and yes, you're really invested in this title, but that's all out of a natural normal existing fan that's fair and and you know what i'm saying i think it's i think it's the same way that we you know credit blizzard in a lot of the same ways it's just that you know there's that connection to a company that does something right like it's it's very rare in our in modern day society especially kind of western society to look at a company and be like that company is ethical and responsible and i enjoy the things that they put out without any harm of human effort anywhere like nobody's being taken advantage of and i think that that also comes through in in gaming, where there are games that respect the player, and there are games that say, "No, I'm I'm doing my own thing. You have to play the way I want you to play." You know, and, and being able to engage with a company that does respect its players, that respects its playtesters, that respects its employees, that it respects the public at large, is it's just rare. And so, I do want to support a company that does that with like every fiber of my being. I think that. You know, it, and it, and it is a you know I would consider it like just as big as a fan as you know I would be of StarCraft or something like that, and because I think that on some levels that game emotionally connects with me as well. Like it's, I don't think that a game has to be about sadness or depression to connect with us emotionally. Correct. And and I think that you know, having that sense of overwhelming joy, having that sense of overwhelming victory in the face of adversity. I mean, I've gotten that through other games where I've, you know, beaten a boss Ninja Gaiden on the Xbox, like the worm tunnel boss, like finally beating that thing. I'll have like throwing my controller down and dancing around the room. Like that's an expression of overwhelming emotion in the face of adversity. And I think that having opportunities to practice that in a safe digital space where I there's 
I'm not going to be physically hurt by Levelhead. <laughs> but but I can practice that there, and I can practice enjoying a challenge, and then take that to the real world where I'm working on a project and going, you know, maybe there's a better way to overcome this obstacle. Maybe there's a, I'm thinking outside the box. Maybe I need to set myself a checkpoint and come back later. Or maybe I can just enjoy the challenge of, I'm going to make this thing over and over and over until I perfect it. And like being able to get that kind of experience out of a video game, like it doesn't have to provide that. I love just as, like Borderlands is awesome and I love shooting aliens and, and raiders, you know, uh, but a game that does provide that is just, I don't know. There's just an extra touch to it that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what I keep thinking about it, it and it kind of, it's going back to that vision, you know, shared vision idea I was kind of talking about, but it's, I think that it's also, it speaks to some extent, like, there's some level of success that a game developer has at, at frankly, at understanding what their vision that they want to share is. Um, and I think that, you know, it can benefit, honestly, a smaller team might benefit from their size in that aspect oh, or definitely. that regard, because there's less cooks in the kitchen, if you right. will. But that is still not to diminish it because I mean, you and I are two people making a podcast that, I mean, technically now there's this video element that, you know, we're doing here on Twitch, but is basically just an audio podcast. And even in that, there can be a lot of discussion and a lot of difference in opinion and like, what does it actually look like that we're trying to put out there? You know, right. when you try and do a video game, there's infinitely more com complex, you know, complexities to it than, than there would be with just an audio podcast. But anyway, like, so my point is, you know, like, I think that what and, and Ninja Gaiden's a great example. That's one of my favorite games as well from from the Xbox. Ninja Gaiden one and two both on the Xbox. Um, well, Xbox three sixty for two. Anyway, <laughs> whatever, whatever. Right. <laughs> anyway, let me push my glasses up. So, um, <laughs> but it, so what that game had was one guy who was the creative director. Now, Team Ninja was a team of a lot of different programmers and stuff, but there was one dude who was, and I don't know, he has a scar on his face. I can't remember his name, but he's, he was the kind of the, the visionary, right. if you will, of that franchise. And he left after Ninja Gaiden 2 and that franchise tanked after that. Yep. I mean, it's still Ryu Hayabusa. It's still the same assets art wise. Right. But that unified vision was now missing. And you, you know, you look at something that we talked about, um, there was kind of the opposite experience that you had earlier. Uh, well, not earlier this year, but <laughs> earlier in this podcasting year, I don't know, <laughs> six months ago, uh, when you played Far Cry Primal. Yeah. So Far Cry Primal creates this experience and maybe like Levelhead, they want to introduce a little humor into it, right? Right. Well, Levelhead does that and they're able to do it in a way that fits into the rest of that vision perfectly. Right. You don't feel betrayed by the introduction of the humor. Right. And, and now it's so baked in that I don't know how you could, but, but you get my point. It feels natural. It feels like it's all connected. It's supposed to be there. Like it would Where, be weird if the humor wasn't there. Right. Right. You can't imagine it without it. Right. Whereas Far Cry Primal is this very like, honestly, like very super serious dystopian thing. And then all of a sudden you encountered this character and we don't even need to go into it at great length, but this character that just, completely broke any sense of immersion you had about right. this hard world because it's this 
and it turned out that it was like a reference to previous right. Far Cry. It was Cry a throwback game. that I didn't get because I didn't play the other Far Cries all the way through. And and while their intention may have been fine and, and admirable and maybe even fun if you're a, a Far Cry series fan, um, it it still ultimately kind of because the thing is is that it's it's almost kind of like as you play through a game, the developers like here's my vision, and you're like, oh, I get it, and they're like, here's my vision, like, oh, I get it, and you building this trust, right? And and so like in Far Cry Primal, you got to the point where you encountered that whatever the Herc character or whatever its name was. And and it broke that yeah. because it was like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel like it fits at all. And maybe that's because that the team that made that is so much bigger that whoever was in charge of implementing that did not it's have the hard. identical. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't have the they didn't have the same vision as the person who was overseeing it that drove the larger vision. Right. Right. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I, it, it really, to me, felt like kind of a. Like, you expect something like a BB-8 or an R2-D2 in a Star Wars movie to provide a little bit of comic relief, and that's kind of fine. But you don't expect that kind of comic relief to be in uh, a super serious action movie like a, a, you know, a Taken or any, you know, kind of of, of action movie where you're, you're in the grips and depths of something that's dark and visceral. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden something just out of nowhere, comed- like Jar Jar Binks shows up and... and does some slapstick in the background and it, it just completely for me it almost invalidated the whole game right right no well and I, and I and I and that's why I'm thinking about it is because I think that's why because it's this constant like hey we'll show you something and pull you in we'll show you something and pull you in and so there's this trust and so in Far Cry because you kind of encounter that late in your Far Cry yeah. primal play too it wasn't I was early. through a lot of the story and not doing the side stuff and apparently he was a side mission that I just kind of stumbled into Right. And so it's like it 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 kind of was like you were so far down the line already of trusting, if you will, that you understood what they were trying to go for. And then that rug gets yanked out and it feels very abrasive. It interrupts the experience. It felt, it felt like a joke was being played on me instead of on the <laughs> game. Like a game well, making and, and, fun of itself is fine, but a game making fun of me and my... Like I'm, I'm care. Right, like I care about this game. I care about this character. I'm very engrossed in the language, like the made up language that they have and this whole right. aesthetic. I'm like, this is glorious. And I'm giving my trust to the game. And they're like, ha ha. And pull the rug out from under me in my house. I'm like, what? Like, right. that's not, that's not what we signed up for. That's not the exchange that we're having here. Right. And with level head, you had the opposite experience of that. You get to the very end and the whole time they've been like, trust, pull, trust, pull, trust, pull. And then you get to the end and it's it all it actually did was just reinforce all of those things that you thought you trusted. And like, yep, that's really what the whole thing was. Like, there is no subversion here. There right. is no point where we slipped up and and lost sight of what we were doing. And so and that's why I used the word pure earlier, because I think that's why that emotional um, response was so strong or so prevalent was because it's like, like I, I the, the closest thing I can compare it to, and it's a completely different medium and, and maybe even more subjective than gaming, which I don't know. Uh, and, but that's, that's music. And for me, that's tool. Like tool is to me like this 
it, it's just magical. Like I, I, and I don't, I don't know. And I don't know them at all. I've never had dinner with them. Like you got to have with, you know, butterscotch guys or whatever tool is less accessible than butterscotch. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, but like, it's that same thing where it's like, I just, I feel the whole time. Like I, like I get it. And like what they're delivering is, is what I wanted without me knowing ahead of time that that's what I wanted. And, and because I trusted them to deliver that and they do every time. Yeah. Like there's not a tool song that I don't like, for example, and I don't mean to turn this into a tool no, conversation, no, but just like, there's not a tool song I don't like. And it's the same thing with like, with Levelhead. It's like, they just get it. Like they're just doing the right th- and, and Levelhead's the game, Butterscotch being the, the group, but it's like, they just get it. Like they, they just don't mess up. And, and not that everything is, I don't like, it's weird to say that because I'm also not trying to put them on this pedestal of being like perfection. No, it's, it's almost more that it's like the art is, it's a perfect understanding of what art should be. Right. Maybe it's and, a and way I, to say it. I think it is a good point to make. Like the game is not perfect and the game is not for everyone, but no game is. But I think that they strive for it in a way similar to like some of our other favorite developers. I rank them with Clay and Blizzard uh, in terms of just like, it sure it's got it does i don't feel like it has rough edges the right the only things is like maybe it has it's i want more is most of the reaction is like oh well i want something else i want a deeper piece i want more bits to play with i mean there's already so many and and those are where a lot of my complaints come in some other players do find some of the levels a little bit too difficult i think the, the aesthetic belies how difficult the game is. We've talked about how Super Meat Boy is saws and blood and hardcore metal music. You know what you're in for, right? Dark right. Souls is dark and souls. Like, it is you <laughs> right. know, about death and dying and rebirth and heart. Which is the sequel spiritually to Demon Souls. Right. Like, right. Like... <laughs> um, Levelhead is bright and colorful and fun but also challenging. And so I think that a lot of people may be lulled that maybe the only trust break is there's kind of this false sense of security for how difficult things are. Um, but mm, I don't think I, that they're, I, I don't think that that's like a, like, I don't know, an intentional thing or something. I think that that also plays into the aesthetic that it's supposed to be like, they kind of tell you this is going to be brutal and it's up to you to believe them on that. Yeah, but I think they do such a... I mean, the thing is, is you know, so are they the first game to use checkpoints? Well, of course not. Mario had checkpoints back in Super NES. Sega right. Genesis Sonic had checkpoints. Right. However, those checkpoints are usually like midpoint level markers so that you don't have to start the entire level over. Right. But that's it. There's usually one... I mean, maybe there was more than one, but I'm pretty sure there was just one in those older Maybe games. two if you're on some really big levels. And and honestly, the level head checkpoint system reminds me, I think I've talked about this on the pod before, but there's a game from 2008 called Prince of Persia, which I know that's a long-standing franchise, but the, the Xbox 360 version, and, and maybe P3 as well, but that came out in 2008, it's watercolored, so it's a beautiful game. It's basically a 3D platformer, but if you fail in a sequence and fall off the ledge this angel who's part of the the story and everything immediately rescues you and takes you back to the, the last point before you started the sequence that you were at. Well, it was chastised so much when it came out as being too easy and breaking the, the rules of platforming because 
well, now if you suck, you're not punished by having to start all over. So you, you know, you don't have to master it. I say bollocks to all of that. Right. <laughs> it's, it is absolutely still challenging and it's more fun because the rewarding part is exactly what you're talking about, which is, okay, fine. I failed. Let me try again. I failed. Let me try again. I got past it. I feel rewarded where that loses its fun is if you have to also replay five minutes of content that you already know that you can do because you already did it each time to get back to that failure condition. So while level head can be challenging, I think that their liberal use of checkpoints is brilliant and frankly takes away a lot of that frustration because if you get stuck at a point, you can just try it over and over and over again. You don't have to replay stuff that sucks and or not that sucks, but that you've already mastered. Yeah, you already, exactly or it's just like the easy stuff that like you not just mastered in this level, but mastered levels earlier. Or maybe because something else that these platformer games will do often that, that level head beats through this checkpoint system is maybe it really is four segments in a row that are hard, that are going to take you multiple tries to get through. Well, if I get through the first two and then get to the third one and die, I don't want to have to go do right. the first two again. Like I, I've already beat my head against that wall right. and have and gotten they're, past And they're the still just as difficult, but I don't want to yeah. do that anymore. <laughs> right. And it's going to take me out of it. It, it eliminates all of that. Um, so I think they do. I think the checkpoint system really masterfully gets around that. And if, if you want the challenge, so but but it doesn't make it too easy because if you want the challenge, there are little like secret beetle pieces to collect in each level. Yep. Um, and I don't know... <laughs> I can't tell if it's their humor or if I just suck that bad, <laughs> but but the on-time delivery time Ooh. for each level is like, okay, so that has so that reaction tells me that, that the fact that it's called on-time delivery is a bit of their humor yeah. because, okay, because I was like, I am, I'm not even close to these that's, times. That's I'm not the, like awesome, but you want a speed run, right? Do it in this, and there's they're all doable times. Right. But it is well, definitely like, but it's another way to they cater to the community. Like they're not just that's catering to the people that want to make levels. They cater to troll level builders, puzzle builders, logic builders. If you want to build, if you build a computer in Minecraft, you could probably do it in level head. Like they go for speed runners. They go for score beat, like high score players. And that even offers the makers that much more opportunity. Like, you can make a level with two paths in it. One path gives you a ton of score. The other path is fast, but hard. And so you maybe you can't do both. Or can you get can you get the highest score and the highest runtime? Like, every level has, of user levels, has top, like, the top three or four high score beaters and the top three or four speedrunners and their times. You could start competing with each other for those things. If you're a speedrunner, your profile in-game shows you how many games you hold the quote-unquote shoes on, which are the levels that you've beaten the fa- faster than anybody else. So you can develop I- internal competitions of people that, you know, the speedrunning community is going to be going out there getting shoes from each other. And they're gonna it's going to spark those little li- rivalries between the top players. High score players can do the same thing, you know level creators can start saying, well, I want to make a speed run level that's so difficult that the top speed runners have to try. And like, you know, and so it, it starts building that momentum in the player made levels. Like we've talked a lot about the campaign, but 
the player made levels have just as many objects like the, the on time delivery goes to the speedrunners. the 100 percent item collection goes to the people that want to find secrets in every level you know like if you want all of the badges and stuff you don't have to get every secret but you have to get a, a good percentage of them and it's just like it, it offers those things where you don't have to beat the hardest challenges like those bug pieces are going to be in areas that are are where difficult tricks have to be performed where like you have to get like frame perfect shots or dodging a saw while running in a spot where you you don't want to be jumping but if you get them if you want that extra level of difficulty it's there so that you can overcome an even higher challenge within the same level so i'm gonna of course take it in a different direction again but you know, we, we were talking offline the other day um, about Diablo style, you know, ARPG is a pretty broad term. So we'll say Diablo style games. And I said, I'd kind of come to the conclusion that the game, the actual gameplay of those games isn't what you think. Like you think the gameplay in Diablo is that you run out and kill demons because that's what you do. Except there's very little actual skill or anything that goes into that. I mean, you kind of pick where you stand. Yeah. Honestly, even if you're a melee character, you kind of don't even do that because you have to stand next to the enemy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so, so, but, but so the selection and the, the, the playing actually, the part where you make meaningful choices is actually in building your character and just in the gear that you want to get. Yep. And Diablo might be kind of a bad example for that, even because of their sets. Path but of like, Exile does it. Path of Exile is a better example yep. because there's so much variety in builds and, and both skill-wise and gear-wise. Right. But, but Path of Exile is the same thing. Like To actually play Path of Exile, running through and clearing the levels is kind of not even actually the game. Which sounds weird to say because right. it is. But that's visually what's being presented, but that's not how you're engaged. Right. Whereas Levelhead, and so it's like you have a game like Path of Exile or Diablo that are these really big popular games that that claim to offer all these different ways to play, but I argue really only offer one, and that's character building. Right. Which not that that's not fine, and that that doesn't that doesn't have value but they kind of miss the mark on delivering on all these things. Whereas Levelhead, again, to your point about, we've talked a lot about the platforming, it actually delivers two totally different gameplay experiences and delivers them completely. Yeah. Because if you want to just play as a platformer, you can, and the game is fun and, and great yep. for so many reasons as a platformer. But then, yeah, you go to the creator side and, I mean, and this is kind of, if I'm not mistaken, what you fell into, not fell into, but what, where you found yourself during the alpha period yeah. was you were playing a lot, but then you really just started becoming a creator yeah. and really weren't even playing that much anymore. No, I was playing that enough was to get the exposure bucks to boost my levels up. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, there are, it's, it's not to say that I don't like playing other levels. There are tons sure. of level builders that are so much better than me that I'm just going to go steal from. And some of them right. I can't because, you know, I can't see how all of their logic works on some things. And there are some people that spend some preposterous amounts of time and effort. And I'm just not that good at coding. Like, I get an AND gate, but I'm not going to know how to properly use, like, a Zor gate for anything, like, or an XOR or whatever. But I'm not going to think – I'm probably going to do it some really complex way that 
doesn't need to be the like you could you could right. refactor my level creation code if you will to very small things if you know what you're doing but there's people that do know what they're doing that can then push that even further and create contraptions that i'm just like i can't i can't but that's amazing and i want to play it and so i i'm gonna play the people that make pinball levels and make you know there's just any number of crazy contraptions and games and things that yeah i'm gonna go engage with that um but I definitely found myself really enjoying that level building part. Like I'm kind of a maker outside of, you know, like I love video games. We talked about that, but I also do, you know, I say to people that my hobby is collecting hobbies. Uh, I've, you know, made board games and card games. I've made, you know, I paint miniatures and paintings. I do, you know, drawings and writings and sculpting and engineering and just everything. So I've, I've messed with it all. And so I love getting in there and taking things apart and putting back them back together in different ways and seeing if I can make something new that somebody hasn't experienced before. If it is something that they've experienced, maybe in a new way. And so I definitely dove into the level creation part and really started pouring into that as far as like, this is where my jam is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I just think, I just think it's so, it's so neat to see again, such great execution on two very different ideas, actually. I mean, obviously they connect because you play through the levels you create or, right. or other people or whatever. But but again, like, I mean, just like you were, I mean, you kind of spoke to it very passingly, but when you started doing the level creation, the toolkit was one set of tools. Right. And now, I mean, you spoke to like multi-select yeah, and, you know, a couple buckets of and all sorts of, there's just, there's more depth in the tools. And in- I'll, I'll actually say I was impressed and I'm curious how you, how you do it. I would assume I know, but, but I would still be curious. Like, so I was playing with a controller right through the campaign and then pretty quickly it, it, it introduces you to the level creation right. and you can go through that tutorial or whatever, which I did. Um, just to see what it would, would offer, even though I'd played back in early access. Um, and I was actually impressed with how intuitive and how well they had designed the level creation process around a controller, right? Like using like, I, so I won't play Terraria on, on, on with a controller, Again, I know that's a weird but because I don't want to manage the inventory with a controller. Right. Like, no, like I'm not I'm not dragging the cursor around with that. Um, but that's because in Terraria, it's all very, you know, you've got an inventory of 40 items and you need one at a time. And bleh. But in this, like, you know, it, it's not the same exact thing, obviously, as managing your Terraria inventory. But it's like it could be ultra specific and tedious. Yeah. And they allow you to be as specific as you want, but they have so many tools to allow you to do things so much more efficiently. Um, so when you when you create levels, do you use the controller ever, or do you use the mouse and keyboard so primarily? The crazy thing is, it's not just optimized for controller, and this is not like Levelhead is not ported to mobile. Levelhead is developed from the ground up with controller, keyboard, and touch all in mind. So like. It is just as easy on a touchpad on my phone to finger paint level pieces on. And on PC, 
I don't even notice it, but there are times where I'll just use the controller for a lot of things, and then sometimes I'll just instinctively grab my mouse to do some other specific action. And I can't even say what they are because it it changes and it's so fluid that I'll mess around with something with my mouse and use keyboard controls and, and shortcuts on the keyboard to do different selections and then switch the controller and do those same movements on the controller without feeling like one is less effective than the other so I, I swap back and forth all the time but the only thing that i don't do is i don't do keyboard for gameplay i prefer a controller there there are people that you know claim certain moves are easier to do for them on the keyboard um for me platformers really just feel best with a you know i even have the 8-bit do kind of snes gamepad that has the joystick cons on it as well so i really like that controller and just feel it's really comfortable plus it bluetooths to my phone as well so on my phone i'll go back and forth between finger painting pieces of the level in and the controller is the same exact controls that i had on pc so it, it's not a port it's not this is not a game that like there are games that on pc that feel like mobile titles and there are mobile titles that feel like you know or we've talked about no man's sky being like unobtrusively controller specific and not letting you do keyboard things like i've got to call out one of our favorite franchises and and we still love them and and so this is not a hate however bloons td6 bloons td5 on phone was different than it was on PC. Yeah. And Bloom CD6, they just straight ported the mobile that over to PC. Correct. And it feels janky. Yeah. Um, it's still a great tower defense game. I still love Bloons, and I'm not mad at Ninja, uh, Ninja Kiwi. Kiwi. Yeah. But that but that was no good. That was shenanigans, and they weren't butterscotch shenanigans. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it wasn't developed. It didn't feel like it was developed with both PC and mobile in mind. It felt it like wasn't. it, which it wasn't. Um, <laughs> right. But there's definitely that feeling with Levelhead that, like like I said, it's not... I don't notice when I swap from keyboard to controller. Like, it just happens. And sometimes I'll build a whole level in controller if I'm, you know, kind of just laying back, maybe making something in a certain way. And maybe there's a specific detail or something, or I just want to throw the controller down for a little bit and kind of get up close and personal with the level and, and get in there with the mouse and keyboard. But it it really is it's so seamless and intuitive like you said they spent they actually went through they talk about on their podcast where they they went through and redesigned all of the controller mapping from the ground up late into development they remapped everything and they went through a session where they were like how does every button press feel how is every selection feel what is difficult or tedious or not intuitive and how can we remap it and there's only a limited number of buttons on a controller, right? Like a, a keyboard and mouse, sure, you've got, you know, flight sim controls if you want it. But making that just as intuitive on a controller, and then you have even fewer input places on a, a touchscreen, right? You're literally suffering the bandwidth of two thumbs. Um, and being able to do all three of those things, yeah, just... And optimizing for it. Like, thinking about that from the very beginning is just... Yeah, it's, again, another point of polish that I don't see a lot of other games do. Yeah, well, and I, you know, talking, going back again and talking about the vision of it, if you will, like, I think that um, it's also, it also speaks to that they also did a good job of understanding 
what it was that they wanted to include and not trying to overextend themselves, which is a crazy thing to say when we're talking about that they've executed two different genres of game within one, right? right? So to say that they didn't overextend is like, wow, but but they didn't. Whereas like, you know, another game series and, you know, Bethesda doesn't get the same love from us that, <laughs> that Blizzard, you know, does as a big developer. But I do think that Bethesda delivers some really great experiences. However, I mean, they're, I mean, they make memes about it themselves. Like they always go too far and reach too far. And so this whole, you know, trust vision thing that I keep going back to, like with Bethesda, you are ultimately going to have that betrayed. Right. And they know it. And anyone else that's ever played any of their games knows it because in the end, the scale is too big and they just, you know, they just can't, they just can't catch everything. Um, so I think it also speaks to, to, Kudos to Levelhead and kudos to Butterscotch Shenanigans for understanding and what not not succumbing to feature creep. I guess is maybe the way to, well, to say I, it. Most and I think that I think it's more being attentive to feature creep. Like there was a time yeah. where they said we may not launch on mobile. We're not sure. They they started right. development with that in mind. They wanted to make sure that they had that as part of their vision. But they did say, you know, there are there are things that some of us got to see in alpha or pre-release access that aren't in the game that have not come back to be incorporated because they didn't get the level of polish that they wanted to have to be in the game and they didn't maybe fit the vision. So they were also just as willing to cut content from the game as they were to explore. You know, there was some feedback. There was a pushback for a long time where they told us early testers that content is going to be locked behind the campaign period. And for, for, building that if you want to build everything you need to know how it works because you've not played with it before so it's locked behind the campaign and there were a lot of us that were like no you have to have that open from the beginning or at least some other way to unlock it that doesn't require the campaign to be played through and there was you know there was a lot of back and forth conversations until they finally said okay well let's try it let's see what happens see how people react to it and and even being willing to say that our vision may not be the right vision like, we have this vision in mind, but we're willing to admit we could be wrong. And, like, that's a huge – that's a big deal. That's a, that's something that you don't see in a lot of – I mean, anybody with any vision. I have that with my own artwork where I'm like, if you don't like my artwork, it's my artwork. I did it the way I wanted to, you know. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it can't be done better. That doesn't mean I can't learn better shading techniques or that there is some – there are some universal truths – to something being artistically pleasing that I could adopt, you know? And, and so being open to that kind of feedback, again, just saying that we're going to cut content that doesn't work. We're going to add things that players really demand, or at least try to, and, but also maintain our own vision through the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, like it, like you say, it really is, you could play just the campaign. You could have released the game. Levelhead could have been released as just the campaign and been an excellent platformer. Well, that's what I kept thinking about. That's why I've, I've made such a point of emphasis about the like two games in one almost, because I have played through Rayman. I can't remember if it's Legends or if Legends is... Because Legends... Yeah, I think it is Legends. It also contains Origins. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've played through that twice. Like, played all the way through it, reset the save, played all the way through it again. I mean, not in back-to-back weeks, right. of course. It's me talking about here. Um, <laughs> But I mean, me who never completes games, I've beat that one twice. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Right. And I was thinking as I was playing, like, this is just as much fun as that. 
and you know, frankly, now it's more fun because it's a new game, and I've played through Rayman, so I know what that looks like or whatever, right? It's a new aesthetic, it's new everything, and and it's like if Levelhead didn't have any of the level creation stuff, again, it already rivals something like a Rayman just as a platform, right? And then the fact that it has this entirely separate set of content is just insane. Well, and it's also <laughs> not just—it's not just tacked on, right? Right. Like It's—it's it's not just yeah. Here's some tools. It's not a like the original StarCraft had kind of the map editor, right? But there wasn't really—if you wanted other people to play your maps, you could just kind of throw them into the pile, right, and hope that people see it or again advertise yourself. But then, like building all of the tools that you need to get your levels played if you want to be a player that only builds levels and doesn't play anybody else's levels you can still rise to the top of level creation because other players can tip your levels with their exposure bucks so you know just having those pieces in mind that even the game does not force you to play it on its terms it offers you all of the tools to play it on your terms and it thinks about as many of those types of terms as it can and offers you opportunities that sure you may you know grow faster if you play and build and engage with the community and post your stuff on reddit and twitch and facebook and whatever sure maybe that all helps but you don't have to and you can be just as successful you know, leveraging your own merits. If you are an amazing level creator and terrible at self-marketing, you can still rise up the ranks and see you all you all you have all of the stats in front of you. You can go to your level cards and see how much playtime has it generated. Like how many living human hours have been spent playing your game or days or weeks or whatever. Um, how many individual plays it has, you know, how many people are, you know, upvoting your level, liking, favoriting, whatever. And, and how difficult your levels are coming out. So that when your levels graduate, you know, the marketing department and go into the tower, your level gets a score of how difficult it is. And you can start learning what you think is difficult may be easy, what you think is easy may be difficult, and how to tune if you want to make a level that fits into a certain category. Like, I want this to be a, a two-star level. I don't want it to be super easy, but I want just a little bit of difficulty. You can start gauging what that is because you have a feedback loop built into the game that you can go look at your own stats. You can do your own math. You can do your own self-reflection and see what do people love, what do people not love, the fact that there are the level sharing codes are easily accessible and you can unpublish levels pretty easily means that you can work with other level creators and say, Hey, I want you just to play test the first half of this level and see if this is, is this a good direction that I'm going or what do you think I need? Publish it quickly, offer the code to somebody and then unpublish it reverts all the stats. It takes away like there's, if somebody had the fastest time on your level and you revert it, that time is removed. So it, it doesn't overinflate people's stats by having that as an option. Again, it's just offering, it's not offering, it's not tacking a toolbox onto a game with a stapler that says, yeah, this is how we made the levels, but it's not how we made the game, right? The level head, the level editor in Levelhead is how they made the game. And so it's not tacked on. It's literally the same toolbox that the devs used. So they wanted it to, to be streamlined and efficient they wanted to make because they were using it to make all the content of the game so they it had to be good on keyboard and mouse it had to be good on controller mm-hmm. because they had to like using it mm-hmm. yeah no that's that's yeah it's um 
it's super awesome. And I just, you know, like we've talked about, I think that, you know, obviously Levelhead, great game. Um, and Butterscotch Nanigans, we've talked about again before, but it's just, I, I just, we, we talk about the good guy developers. I mean, that's when we started this podcast, which I know some people don't like Blizzard so well um, after the events of, of <laughs> late 2019, but on the whole, Blizzard, especially for their size, has been kind of one of the good guy developers that delivers what the fan is looking for, that, that leans into that trust that we're talking about over and over again. Um, and I think that I think that Valve is pretty good on that as well, um, generally at least. Artifact. But, um, <laughs> Everybody gets a slip up. Hey, but you know what? They're going back to Artifact and they're completely redesigning it. I mean, right. from the ground up. So again, they're they're trying, right? Um, and I think Butterscotch and Anians deserves, as you've said for a long time, but to be in that conversation as well of uh, maybe they take Bioware's place, right? Because Bioware <laughs> right. used to be there until EA. So um, yeah, just just super wonderful. And uh, I'm I'm really glad to to have to have gotten to know about butterscotch shenanigans and about levelhead through you because it's something that that you've been so passionate about i'm glad that i've gotten to look at it beyond you know more than i would most games because it's like the onion thing you know you you can peel a layer back and there's something more and there's another layer and another and i think that that's been this experience for me um culminating in going to shenanicon and and getting to see the community together and to see the way the developer interacts with the community. Cause I went not as a super fan. I mean, right. it's not a big conference and most of the people there are active in the discord and are know each other, at least by their screen name, you know what right. I mean? And know who the different developers are and what roles they play. And I didn't, I didn't have any of that going in. Um, yet I still got to experience the excitement of it all and see why people are as passionate as they are about it. And, it, you know, we always say at least it should be the second podcast you listen to at the very <laughs> least, because this should be the first. I personally would advocate that it's the third that you right. listen to because right. you should listen to the walk show second. But if you had time for three podcasts a week, <laughs> pick up your sticks, then the walk show, and then the butterscotch shenanigans one should be right there because um, they really offer a lot of behind the scenes insight into what they're what their thought processes are into developing the game. And um, it's just a really transparent thing that you just don't get access to with most people in this space or most developers well, in this space. And they're also transparent about life and how life affects gaming. Like they're transparent about their own self-development routines. A lot like, you know, we have been on this show and, and you especially have been on the walk show, like just seeing that transparency and having a segment to talk about, like life affects gaming, gaming affects life. And, and, <laughs> It's almost like we all have the same, like we, we thought, well, we think gaming matters. So let's start a podcast to advocate it. And they actually just created an entire video game studio to advocate <laughs> why gaming matters. You know what I mean? Like, right. no, oh, it's hey, true. hats off to them. I'm just trying to talk folks. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, anything else that you wanted to cover or anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to, to go through? I mean, I could probably gush in depth about, the game just more and more and more i think it's so it's definitely worth your time to check it out if you're even halfway reticent about it and don't want to pay full price up front uh get it on mobile it's surprisingly seven dollars on mobile so it's well worth and and that's it's, it's still the full game it is the same exact experience 100 percent the same game 
Uh, you know, I think we and the devs would probably prefer that if you do enjoy it, that you support them on PC or one of the other platforms. It is available on Xbox Game Pass and Google Play Pass for free right now. So if you subscribe to those services, you've got it. All you have to do is click the install button and you've got it for a month or, or you know, that, that you can give some attention to. And then if you like it, maybe you pick it up on one of the other platforms, you know, after that time expires. Um, I think it's well worth the the money that that they're asking for it's well worth every bit it's also on discount uh through both steam and epic i believe both you know different deals different varying coupons between if you pick up crashlands or if crashlands is free and how they offer those deals but it's on steam and epic as well so wherever you know no guff from us if you prefer one of those platforms over the other it's available on both so uh no problems there and I, I will I will say before before we do an actual conclusion or whatever to this mm-hmm. that you know obviously we're advocating for this pretty hard um, and and you know Brett because of his involvement uses language like we and things like that but I do want to be explicitly clear that this amount of of love that we're giving this is just that it's we are not paid we do no, not work yeah. for, for butterscotch Indians we are no. not affiliated with them in any way. Um, I mean, again, they've been really cool and we've, you know, got to meet them and talk with them and, and whatever, but we don't actually work with them directly no. at all. So and, I'm and, not an employee. Um, I, I was contracted out sponsors. for, <laughs> yeah, nor, nor are we official sponsors or anything. Right. And no. I say that just to say that like, because when someone's disimpassioned about something, it can seem like they're Chill. trying to sell it to you. And it's like, I, we are, but only in the se- I mean, I did an episode, <laughs> complete departure. No. Yeah. I did an episode of the walk show one time where I did this fake commercial for Thomas bagels, which is, I know random and silly, but it's because I really do think that Thomas bagels are the best store-bought packaged bagels <laughs> that you can get. So I really do want to advocate that people buy them, not because I get a cut or a royalty, <laughs> but because I want more Thomas bagels in the world. And, and, and I, I, I use that silly example to say that the reason that, that, you know, we wanted to do this episode and talk about it for this long and, and really push all the, the wonderful aspects of it isn't because there's anything in it for us other than we want more butterscotch shenanigans. We want more level head and we want more things like this in the world. So we want to try and reward as much as we can beyond just paying with our or voting with our wallet and paying, but also really going out there and saying, Hey, like pay attention to this. Look at this. Like this matters. This is why gaming right. matters. Like, yeah. This is important. Um, it's, it doesn't have the same marketing power as, as Nintendo. Cause it's not that it's not a mega billion dollar company, you know? So we want to be part of that power because this is a game that matters. This is a company that matters. And like I said, I did receive my first copy of the game for free to be an alpha tester. Cause I couldn't purchase it when it's an alpha. Um, but I immediately paid for it on mobile when it came out on Thursday. Cause mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm more than willing to, there are going to be people that I will probably be buying copies of level head for, because they're going to be like, Oh, I don't know. I'd be like, no, you don't get to not know you get to play. So yeah, it's, it's, I've done the same thing with Terraria. You've bought and gifted me several games that I was, you know, a little resonant about, but yeah, it's, it is true. Honest to goodness, just love from, us as gamers to the community and to the developers that make good games. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say, I mean, we'll, we'll do our official conclusion here in a moment, but uh, I would say, you know, get out there, check out Levelhead, um, Butterscotch Nanigans, wonderful developer. Crashlands is also a great game, but um, 
But Levelhead has just hit 1.0, and you will not be disappointed to go and check it out. Agreed. So that's all for our episode today. Please join the discussion by tweeting your thoughts to us at P-U-Y-S-Pod or follow us there to get a notification on our stream times. Check out the links below for many other ways of getting a hold of us from email to Discord. We'd love to hear and discuss your thoughts. If you like this episode, please rate, star, thumbs up, and review us wherever you're listening. And please tell a friend about us. It really does make a difference. All of our links will be available in the show notes, and if you want more of Walker's personal insights on pretty much everything in life not related to gaming, check out his other podcast, The Walk Show, which is available everywhere podcasts are found.